Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Wednesday, May 24th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Doing well. Had a lovely extended weekend featuring uh, Frank's Red Hot Caesar. Uh, going through a bunch of used CDs I bought last weekend and a ton of manga. Uh, and then Tuesday night was when the project that I skipped all weekend got like banged out. How was your ah, weekend? Perfect. Yeah, the, the perfect use of a long weekend, really kicking off the summer. Happy Victoria Day to our friends in Canada and then upcoming this weekend, the Memorial Day holiday in the United States to kick off their summer. Weekend was good. Uh, Really didn't get up to too much. Chilled out, enjoyed the rapidly improving weather. I think we are going to start hitting uh, the mid-20s this week in in Toronto and then uh, this weekend in Montreal. Looking forward to... uh, the summer as it's finally arrived so i was good enjoyed the extra day off really helps to have a short week this week uh in the mm-hmm. summer because it's tough to stay motivated when you look outside and uh the, everything's green birds are chirping people are doing activities and, and you just want to get out there and join them <laughs> yeah um I I think there's just a playoff mode where there's enough sports topics and we're trying to keep it limited enough that I can just skip the terribly stupid stuff again. We'll have we'll have plenty of time for sports in uh, in August once we are through the majority of the NBA and NHL finals and yeah when we get into those dog days of summer when you're just begging for content to talk about yeah that stuff never goes away but it's just it it feels repetitive it's fun to talk about but also fun to not talk about i am hyped though it feels like in about 25 minutes uh my favorite reality television show uh after the mid-season finale kicks back off and that would uh, be Ron DeSantis announcing he's running for president on Twitter with Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> so plenty of content in the sports coming up shortly. Till then, sports. And in my opinion, the biggest sports headline of the week is the Denver Nuggets sweeping the Los Angeles Lakers to reach their first ever NBA Finals. Um all the more satisfying uh, just to kind of have that kick in the teeth of like the quotations, media unquotations, uh, who were seeing it in the East and West had a certain narrative, certain talking points to try and drive hype uh, that just showed there was a lot of real hard basketball analysis missed at the start and even early midway through these series. Uh, an incredibly satisfying sweep that this team had to dig deep, uh, pull out all the stops, have different contributions from different players in key moments. But at the same time, I feel like there's a consistency through each of those four games that show us why the Nuggets were the number one team in the West, are able to get a sweep in the finals, and I think are going to be the favorites to win the championship this year, regardless of who they face. Yeah, it's one of the most entertaining sweeps I've ever witnessed. 
And you're right, it, it's case in point of just a higher quality team bearing out. The Nuggets win this series 99% of the time, but it's really hard to sweep a team. And the games were close, and yet they still came out on top. And it's just a team that gets such great shots. It's a team that had home court advantage. It's a team that has the best player on the planet right now playing for them in Nikola Jokic. And it's so funny because the media drove Lakers this, Lakers that. And the media drove everything behind it. Denver's one of the smallest markets by viewership because of some of the regional restrictions they have with the broadcasting and versus the, the multi-billion dollar giant that is the Los Angeles Lakers, right? But those who were analytically inclined and, and basketball savvy you did see that undercurrent of this series. While the Lakers got all of the storylines, there were very few people actually picking them in the series, right? The Nuggets were favored throughout and, and were favored in most of the games. And as the series went along, it bore out incredibly that they were just the vastly superior team. But it just is funny to see uh, how much narrative was driven in this series by just a massive media conglomerate versus the superior team that everyone actually picked to win, but just wasn't getting the headlines. Even after the sweep happened, Jokic gets his 20 minutes of, of fame and, and articles. And then LeBron comes out of nowhere and, and announces he's considering retirement. And it washes everything that we had just talked about with the nuggets for the last week and a half. <laughs> Yeah, so bucking that trend, let's just cycle backwards and talk about a couple more things they did so well in a little more detail. You kind of touched on it. Uh, they needed to win every game in the fourth quarter, and every time they needed something, they found an answer. And most of that answer flowed through Nikola Jokic uh, over the four games, the biggest exception being probably the second when Jamal Murray just went nuclear. Uh, but even then... A lot of that offense still flows through Jokic. Uh, you also touched on it, like throughout four quarters, this team gets consistently great looks on offense. Uh, there's never really any lengthened period of time where you're seeing like multiple bad contested pull-up threes, like other than the possessions where the Lakers were really able to clamp down on defense and just force a near shot clock violation and Hail Mary, which Murray and Jokic still somehow made like an unlikely number of times to throw even more fits that way. Uh, this team was just like no one really had any bad cold minutes and everyone seemed to have their 15 minutes of being the hot guy. So when you get that many open looks, like you're bound to start cooking at some point. So Michael Porter Jr., Contavious Caldwell Pope, Bruce Brown, like all just knocking down the threes at a really hard to lose that clip. But they were all such good, easy, open look threes. And a lot of that credit goes to Jokic, but a significant amount goes to the whole team mentality. Um, the offense was just such a pleasure to watch in terms of ball movement, in terms of making one more pass, making the right fake, and always finding the best shot on the floor. So even more satisfying to watch the ball go down at maybe a higher number than you'd predict uh, after those like beautiful flows of offense. It, it, 
defense is wonderful in basketball and you can win games with it. And in fact, the game series clinching play comes on defense from Jamal Murray and Eric Gordon, another really fantastic guy to have as like a fourth, fifth option, just like contributing in that starting five, but no spotlight, not a the level of demand he faced early in his career. But when you can just guarantee offense throughout like 35, 40 of the 48 minutes, uh, it, it just means you're never really going to be out of it. And you're guaranteed almost a couple of runs to challenge your opponents to try and get back in the game at like that. Those things consistent through the series, uh, just let them take the tip like over that little balance where it's a coin toss. They came out on top every 50-50 situation. Yep. And and that's because they have right now one of those guys that you talk about that separates the good teams from the great. And Nikola Jokic has been everything and more for this team. He is establishing historical landmarks on the averages and points, assists, rebounds that you can get in a playoff series, in a Western Conference Finals. And he's a guy that, like you said, dependable offense. Whenever there's a team on a run, you just you need that one plus plus guy who's gonna stop it, who's gonna stuff it, who's going to get you a good shot. It's a Dirk Nowitzki, it's a Kevin Durant, it's a Larry Bird, it's a LeBron James. For the Raptors, it was Kawhi Leonard. Whenever they got in trouble, let's give it to Kawhi. Let him create a mid-range shot or let him attack the basket. For this Denver Nuggets team, it's it's Nikola Jokic. And whenever they're in trouble, it, it doesn't have to be a significant run where the walls are crumbling down. It could be a team scores three times in a row and they just need to get something. He can put his head down and just work in the post or... He's going to get someone a backdoor cut or a corner three that is somehow always wide open. And it bears out in their shooting statistics. Like Bruce Brown and KCP and Michael Porter Jr. and Jeff Green are shooting over 50% on, on open threes, which like you should be making open shots, but not all teams can do that. So it's almost a testament to how open the shots are and they're in rhythm and he's hitting them in the right spot where they're comfortable taking that shot in rhythm. It's it's just so incredible in how he uplifts and enhances each of the offensive characteristics of this team. And you see it bear out in the style of play of the other guys on the team who want to pass the ball a little bit more, who want to be unselfish who want to keep the the flow of the play going and just pass up a good shot for a great shot and and hype each other up and the energy is just there and i mean there's the recency bias of course that you get from a team that's just qualified for the nba finals but i don't see how either boston or miami beats this team uh in, in a seven game series yeah we anthony davis had been the best defensive player in this postseason, and he didn't last all of one game guarding Jokic one-on-one. He's able to have an effect in the paint. He was able to get a few blocks and like throughout games this series, Um, but the absolute wall that he was in series one and two uh, that just, if he's on, the Lakers win. 
he was on in game one and the Nuggets won. And that set a tone where he was good, but not great for the rest of the series. And if that guy who, as I said, was the best defensive player can't stop Jokic, no one can. It's a question of what kind of system can you not just throw at him, but throw at the entire Nuggets team to try and make those open looks that the more devious defensive schemes are going to generate in some way, shape, or form. How do you uh, negatively affect those? I, I mean, it will be NBA history made if it's not the Miami Heat playing the Nuggets, so maybe we can get a little more specific here. Like, Bam Adebayo simply doesn't have the size and strength to deal with Jokic. Um, Zeller. Yeah, like, they... They can throw him at him and see how he does and like probably be similar to Lalonde, honestly, on the Suns where like, yeah, it does something, but you can just slow it down and not stop it. Um, I also think they've got no one to guard Murray. Like Schroeder did a decent job and was able to cool him down at times this series, but like Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, maybe it's Tyler Hero. It sounds like he might be back in time. Uh, I, I think they're all going to be below the level Schroeder was able to establish on Murray. And like at the same time, the Nuggets didn't really have an answer for LeBron. And Jimmy Butler is going to get a lot of those Eric Gordon, yeah. um, Michael Porter Jr. matchups and have a chance. But I, I still just don't... Like the... The Nuggets are a system, and like Jokic is the key to that system. And it just, until you find a way to stop that, like it just flows beautifully. Um, whereas the Heat, like Jimmy Butler is just an engine, and he heats up and ramps up, and there's a contagion effect in that. But like, I, I just don't think Strauss and Robinson and Vincent and Lowry are going to be getting the looks to be as consistent as the Nuggets supporting cast and role players will be. And like, I sure Jimmy can like drop 50 and be a playmaking connoisseur, but I, I just don't, even though like the Nuggets defense is probably the biggest hole, like I still don't think the heat can generate the offense to keep up with what the Nuggets are going to be able to do. Yeah, I mean the he, the Nuggets. You can say what you want about their defense, but they've improved it, and they've gotten a greater defensive effort than we thought out of a Michael Porter Jr. I mean, Bruce Brown and KCP, you knew were going to bring it. Jokic is as good as a defender as you can be with someone of his physical characteristics. Mm -hmm. And He's then, a of smart course, defender. yeah, and and Aaron Gordon is a plus defender as well. Really, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray were guys that you worry about, but they're staying connected, they're rotating, they're competing to stay in front of their matchup, and that's all you can ask for when you've got some other solid perimeter defenders on the floor, and, and it hasn't hurt them yet. I think you take a look at last night's game, and... You see some of the places where Miami can run into a bit of trouble is the games that they won. They kept the Celtics under 100, 110 points, right? They they got them down in the mud with them and wrestled them. And, and Boston really, they started hitting open shots, which they haven't done 
in the first three games of this series. And that's why they won by 17 because Miami just couldn't keep up. And I see similarities in that with Denver and the differences is that the Nuggets are always going to get those open looks, whereas Boston might get them less consistently. Uh, and so Miami's really got to lock in for this next game on the road. I could see a potential great Jimmy Butler game coming through again because he hasn't really exploded yet in this particular series for the the 40, the the 50 points like he has in the, in the other two. Um, and, and yeah, it's just every game extra that Miami or Boston has to play is is a benefit to Denver because you talk about rest versus rust. I think Denver is one of these teams that could be immune to it because of just how uh, how much continuity and and how much flow and how great their execution is in in offensive sets. Is it a set amount of time regardless? Yeah, I think it's yeah. June 1st, no matter what. Yeah, so I, I think like if you asked them, they'd probably prefer to play five days from now rather than eight days from now or whatever. Uh, but I, I think it'll be a pretty minimal negligible effect and that I guess if it was somehow the Celtics, the game one would be in Boston. But if it's when it's most likely the Heat, game one will be in Denver. And that will be a much bigger advantage than whatever t tiny bit of rust that the Nuggets accrue. All right. So if we want to expand a little bit on Miami and Boston, uh, I think Boston in game four there saved Joe Missoula's job. I think they saved Jalen Brown's future as a Boston Celtic, at least temporarily. And and they finally found their shooting stroke and, and a bit of their swagger. And if there's any team that could come back from 03, it's the number two seed Boston Celtics against the number eight Miami Heat. You just got to keep that in the back of your mind is that this Boston team has overcome adversity uh, time and time again over the past couple of years. And, and, they have the potential in there to be a championship level team. It just hasn't been consistent yet this year. And so I'm very interested to, to see what we get Thursday night, where is it going to be a game four Boston? Or is it going to be game three Boston where they simply just lost the will to play and lost the fight in them uh, towards the, the end of that game three. It was embarrassing, quite frankly, in a game that they needed to win. Um, and so there's not much more to it than that. It's just Miami was even in game four, I think Miami was playing sh harder, but Boston was able to just make more threes. And that was the significant difference of, of that one. If I have to go down three, nothing, I think I'd rather be in the situation where you lose your first two games at home and then have to steal one on the road to stay alive, uh, for a chance at winning the series. Because now they get to go home. They have a bit of momentum, a bit of self-belief. If they can come out and take that one, uh, then I think it, Miami finds itself backed more into a corner and gets less of a benefit from that game six on the road. And then if there's a game seven, you've really got a shift in momentum. It, it's just they're going to have to win a fourth quarter to do that. And they kind of got around and averted that in game four maybe they could do it again in game five but i can't imagine they win this series 
without having to really uh, bear down and go bucket for bucket and have Tatum and Brown uh, keep the offense flowing in a fourth quarter against that. Like, I don't know if you saw the interview where Butler's just like, to be honest, if I had to say what our game plan is in the fourth quarter, it's get me the ball and move. Uh, Can you match that Boston Celtics is the question they're going to have to answer, but it's a tough sell based on how the series has gone. Yeah, I just... I, I like the showing of a backbone from this Boston team, and it's so tough to know. Are they going to get – you can't replicate desperation, so it has to be the exact same effort. Otherwise, they are going to get stepped on by this Miami team that doesn't want this series to just hang around any longer than it has to be. I will say I think Missoula's gotten a bit of a raw bargain here where <laughs> – you step into the league on very short notice as an interim head coach. You're the best team in the league. Like you get that position solidified and then things fall apart in like small, like one Jenga piece at a time ways. And then like suddenly everyone wants your head. Uh, I think there's been such like short term of measuring and like such a variation over that term that like it's really hard to know what we're looking at with that situation um i think it would have been premature to fire him though there's such a good coaching pool right now in the free agency market as we touched like maybe teams are just a bit more willing to pull the trigger right now because they know of what they have the potential of getting on a switch up yep you've got monty williams you've got Mike Budenholzer, you've got Nick Nurse, who I think is going to land in Milwaukee, uh, and then Doc Rivers as well, right? Like the four. Yeah, I wonder who years. takes a swing on Doc. Like Nurse, it, it Nurse. can't be Boston. They already yeah. did that. <laughs> like I'm wondering if no one does at this point, but like maybe it's more just not a top five, a top six team. It's a team who wants to get up there. Nurse on the Bucks gives me such like excitement and chills at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think he's exactly what they need, right? Yeah. A lot of people mention how creative Nick Nurse is and how he's worked with developmental teams now the last three, four years. But people forget that title team for Toronto was Vets. It was Gasol. It was Ibaka. It was Kawhi Leonard. It was Danny Green. It was Kyle Lowry, right? Siakam was the young guy on that team. Norm was the younger guy on that team, and both had been in the league for a number of years. So when you look at Nick Nurse and and you think of him as this creative mind who's going to try a lot of things and and work with young guys and develop, well, he made his career now off of winning a title with a team that was ready to win and needed Mm -hmm. that coach to make the in-game adjustments and take them over the top and be willing to work and try stuff and, and, and throw the kitchen sink at games. And that's something that Budenholzer didn't do. And Milwaukee won a title doing a couple of those adjustments, but really like Atlanta in the conference finals was, wasn't it. And then Giannis was just simply great in that finals against Phoenix. and. I think even in the last two years, teams around the league have gotten even smarter and even better, and you're going to need that next level of in-game micromanagement to take you over the finish line. So I'm I'm excited at the prospect of a, a Nick Nurse-led Milwaukee Bucks team. 
Steve Nash uh, met with ter- the Raptors sometime in the last week. No, he didn't. Ooh, he did, you like, just don't yeah, like just, it. Yeah, I, Wait, you, I don't think he's twice now you've like done that head shake. I'm like, am I like saying fake news? And then you're like, <laughs> I just don't want that. I'm like, it makes me like stop my sentence. Uh, I don't know who I hope for the Raptors. I, I guess it feels like a low expectations year is why I'd be a little more open to taking a swing, um, fully acknowledging the Homer bias that's also present in that sentiment. Um, there's no one that really excites me and gives me a lot of hope. My guy would be Monty Williams. I'm, I'm high on what he did in Phoenix and how he turned around that franchise, obviously with the growth of Devin Booker and the addition of Chris Paul, but... He's a guy who's worked with younger teams before and he's available and, and yeah, I just, I love what he does. So I, I'd love to see the Raptors give him a shot, but after that, not sure who else would be an interesting fit. Yeah. Uh, Last bit in basketball, one team which shored up its coaching, the Houston Rockets and James Harden has indicated leaked i'm not quite sure what the source of information was but it was in headlines about five six days ago that harden in hopes to return to the rockets and doesn't intend on re-signing with the 76ers it's a bit intriguing after like he had his playoff desires he made that push to the nets he kept going got on the 76ers they've had an attempt two past two years now and he's like, all right, take um, like he signed a low contract for this year, which was pretty commendable. Uh, but now it seems like I want one more bag. I want it in the state where I like the tax rate. Uh, I want to and know where all life. my favorite strip clubs are. And this Rockets team getting more interesting by the draft pick. Uh, just one more like legacy boosting moment if you can join a bottom three team and see them top 10 the next season and i say that not really believing that it would be Harden who causes that transition yeah like at this point the only place he could play that gives him a better shot to win than philly is maybe denver right there's not there's not really a big out there maybe anthony davis like there's not really a big out there that compliments him better than Joel Embiid so if yeah. he's not if he's making he's obviously not making the decision for basketball reasons so then like you said it's it's a Houston it's a the one I would love is San Antonio if they just signed yeah. him for like a one year try it out if he played like, like well if he played like he did in Philadelphia and was the point guard and the facilitator mm-hmm. rather than the everyone watch me do James Harden stuff then Victor Wenbanyama is a great fit, right? Someone who yeah. could space the floor for him, but also rim run and also clean up his pylon perimeter defense, right? Like, why it's be worth a shot for San Antonio to do a one year experiment with it. But it, yeah, it's it's obviously not for basketball reasons. And so, I mean, if he doesn't want to win, then go do your thing, go have fun, go make your money. I'm not going to judge him for that because there's very few people in this world who get to have the opportunity to make NBA millions and, and just live the life to the nth degree, however you want to live it. Yeah. Will be interesting to observe 
contract-wise what exactly GMs believe he is worth at this point in his career. Uh, family, one other good reason to want to return. Uh, something we didn't throw in there that should probably be considered. Certainly. All right. My hockey hangover still going strong. I don't know how much you've been following these Eastern and Western finals uh, and how much time you want to take to talk about them. So yeah, let's just do the highlights. First four games between both series go to overtime, Max, uh, and and same team wins both games. So Florida, Kachuk with double overtime happiness. Love the selly of scoring the goal and telling the boys we're getting on the bus. And even really like doggy pile, they just he scored and they all <laughs> skated as fast as they could to the to the <laughs> gate and just left. Time to get on the bus. Um, just awesome stuff there. And Florida is showing that somehow it's very much like this Miami team. And the fact that they're geographically linked as well is hilarious. But they are the best team in the East now. It looks like just it's borne out. They beat the Boston Bruins, the greatest team in regular season history in seven games. And then they smush the Maple Leafs and they're smushing the Hurricanes now, who were the other two top teams in the Eastern Conference. I remember you saying like when the Leafs were out, like the Leafs can't hang with these big guys, with these Panthers, with these Hurricanes. And it seems like the Hurricanes can't hang either. No, they can't. This Florida team is phenomenal and I mean, all the praise in the world right now is being heaped onto Sergei Borovsky, who is playing out of his mind and will win the Vesna and may even win the Vesna if they or the Smythe. even if they don't uh win the finals, but he's been spectacular. But the rest of this team has been really solid. Alexander Barkov goes out in game three, injured early on. He's gonna play game four, but he goes out early and and they piece it together without him and win that one. And Carolina is a team that funny enough, looks to be in a very similar position as the Maple Leafs with this core of uh, younger to middle-aged forwards that is in a cap-tight situation and is now looking around saying, okay, where do we go from here? Because it seems like we're still not ready to get over the hump. Although, conference finals appearances is definitely different than one second-round win in 20 years. But... The, the, yeah, just this Florida team, really cool story. It sucks that it's Florida, though, like the market, although the fans have been great these last couple of games. They they have something to cheer about. And then on the other side of things, Vegas is just, Dallas is falling apart. Vegas is the better team. They are suffocating the Stars in all aspects of the ice, just p- applying a ton of pressure, and, and the Stars are crumpling. They're losing their composure. Vegas with the two overall overtime wins and then they just dominate game three it turns into a bit of a slugfest uh, Jamie Ben just got announced about an hour ago suspended for two games for the cross check on Mark Stone and then of course I, I don't know how Max Domi's not going to get a suspension as well basically Dallas takes a penalty they kill it off they take another penalty they kill it off and then Domi just runs I forget who the Vegas player is right up behind cross-checks him in the back of the head into the boards what are you thinking obviously not and the fans get into it they get so frustrated they're throwing stuff on the ice which we haven't seen besides really like the passionate blue jays fans from the texas rangers series it wasn't a great look when that all happened the leafs did it this year 
I think after the non-goal was called, but maybe yeah. at a much smaller scale. Yeah, and and it, in none of those situations is it okay. And the Dallas Stars president CEO apologized to the Knights and to the NHL uh, for the actions of the fans who threw things and garbage on the ice. And something that I don't think I've ever seen before is they ended the second period early. There was 26 seconds left in the period. They had to pause the game for the stuff being thrown on the ice, and the refs just said, period's over, go to the locker rooms. <laughs> I didn't know they had the authority to do that. It makes sense in this case with the lack of safety of the players. Uh, but just Dallas has fallen apart, and they've got potentially just one game left at home to figure it out and play with some pride in front of their home fans, and it's just it's unraveling quite quickly, and we're going to get a Vegas-Florida final. Who would have ever thought that? five years ago when Vegas was coming in the league, let alone 25 years ago when these teams didn't exist. It's just, it's, or I think Florida did now, but just two markets. It's going to be great for the growth of the game. The ratings are going to be terrible. And as Canadian hockey fans, we're going to watch good hockey, but it's tough to keep engaged when it's it's two markets that are about as far away from the border as you can get. You know what every Texas hockey player's favorite uh, line is? Play with pride. <laughs> I wonder when the last time you had both in the NBA and the NHL uh, a 3-0 start to every series in the conference finals like that. Like that's I know. crazy. Sport- Sports Center Sats, where are you with that? I'm surprised we haven't seen that Instagram post. Yeah, well, we've got about five minutes left to wrap up the show and three sports to get to. Yeah, well, I just touch on my stuff quick, really. Things I'm excited for this weekend. Um, tough end of the season for Arsenal. Uh, they just fell apart down the stretch, looked like the Dallas Stars in all of these games, choked it. Man City wins the premier league there's still a couple of games left to go but uh we're about two or three weeks away from the champions league final where they are going to be the heavy favorites against inter milan um so they're on the verge of of doing the premier league champions league uh pairing uh, of victories that we're, we're looking forward to tracking the progress on that um toronto blue jays get are the first team to score 21s in 20 runs in a game this season in the MLB, they get a much needed kind of reset win against the Tampa Bay Rays, 20 to one. And then of course, not listed in our notes, but we do have the Monaco Grand Prix, uh, Formula One, always a prestigious event. So looking forward to taking that in this weekend. Uh, and, And that's really my stuff I'm looking forward to. Max, you've got a couple of tennis notes here that we'll talk about before we send folks on their way. The clay era of Daniel Medvedev may have just kicked off last week as he won the Rome 1000 title, defeating Holger Rune in the finals there, had an excellent run against a tough string of opponents to get there, beating Stefano Tsitsipas in the semifinals. Nice to see the Greek there at a Masters 1000 event this year, I think, for the first time. This being the last clay Masters before Roland Garros, the French Open, kicks off. And for the first time in 20 years, I think, neither, or since like 1998, it was a ridiculous stat, neither Roger Federer nor Rafael Nadal will be in the draw. Rafael Nadal being out, uh, 
the bigger, more relevant news, like only, only Nadal and Roland Garros could you have a player who has been so chronically injured over the past 12 months and still have him as the favorite to win up until this point. Like it really was down to the wire, but he comes out and says sometime last week, my body is simply not in the condition where I'm able to perform at the level I need to be at to win this tournament. So he is going to attempt to continue to recover and basically indicated that next season will be his farewell season. So the big three era kind of officially closing with that. We don't know how much longer we'll have Djokovic at the top. He doesn't win in Rome. That another record, like the first time, no Djokovic nor Nadal in the semifinals at that tournament or something. That's the second time Djokovic has lost to Rune in a row. If you remember, he lost to the finals of the 1000 event. So some like maybe some new narratives uh, coming in soon in the tennis world. Uh, Roland Garros of transition. Djokovic will likely be the favorite still, despite uh, if nothing else, because he won in Australia this January. Uh, Rune, like a, who will be another starter, seems to struggle to maintain the consistency. Medvedev, this might have been his coming out party. We'll see how the draw looks for him. Um, but again, that's just going to be more sets he has to win on his least favorite surface. Zverev, Tsitsipas interesting names rublev and then of course carlos alcaraz uh, who's out pretty early at rome but has kept that level pretty high made several successful title defenses uh if not for an inspired zverev he might have been the one against nadal he would have been the one against nadal in the semifinals last year Clay has typically been his best surface so looking forward to see the push from him there I think this is our last podcast airing before it's officially started, but very much looking forward to covering it. Uh, I ran out of time for like the full this week and awesome. Just going to say high school core scene band bless the fall is back. So excited about that. And that's it. Sports Next Door signing out. You get to the station, there's this crazy sound. Fishing town, yeah they're fishing, that ain't all.